Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Mike Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. Well, last week, we started something, and the title of it was Leading in Crisis. Everybody say, Leading in Crisis. You know, we're all going to go through crisis, but we have to be intentional if we're going to lead through crisis. In that we started something last week, and what we found out was that in Luke 4, the day that Jesus launched his ministry, he spoke and he quoted, he was fulfilling a prophecy in Isaiah, and he said, basically, he said, I came for those that are in crisis. And then he began to describe the poor, the dejected, those that are, those that are you know, they're in crisis. He went through and he, he, made a, he made a list. And what we found out equally last week is that Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 and verse 30, he spoke again in a separate place and he called and he said, all of those who are weary and overburdened. I think it's interesting he didn't just say burdened, but overburdened. And it's almost like Jesus was saying, hey, everybody right now that you are, that you are frazzled, that you can't hit, that you are just cooked. He said, I came for you. And then what he did is he said, I came to give you rest in your soul. But he connected it. And he said this, that for that rest to occur in your life, he said that we must be receptive of his words. He said it like this. He said, let me teach you. And then he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he said, come to me, all you that labor, you're heavy laden, you're overburdened. I'll give you rest for your souls. And he said, let me teach you. And then he said this, for I'm meek and gentle of heart. I think it's interesting that statement because when we're overburdened, what we have to do or what we bring to the table is a heart that says, God, I'm open to you. Lord, I don't have all the answers. I'm teachable. I'm meek. You can speak into my life. And then what Jesus said is that we will find rest for our soul. And what it is is sometimes as Christians, we think, oh, if I could just hear something, it's true. It has to do with teaching. But then it's learning and applying that teaching to our lives, which then causes us to unlearn a broken way of functioning. And we learn God's way of functioning. And I think we live in a broken, a broken, crisis-ridden world. I think all of us, some of us are like, well, when COVID is over, just an inside track, COVID will be over and there will be another crisis after COVID. You say, why? Because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that, is, that just goes from one crisis. But what we've got to understand is this, is the answer isn't run from or try to hide or avoid crisis or escape crisis, but God's answer is to grow in crisis. His answer is that we, that we grow. And, you know, you think about every crisis, what it does is it creates two things. It creates unexpected problems in our life, but if we respond right, it creates unprecedented opportunity for growth in our life. If we will respond, our world is broken and it's in crisis. And God calls and leads us to wholeness. 
He leads us to soundness. He leads us to peace while we're living around people that are in crisis because that is a witness to them as to his goodness and his faithfulness. And so last week, what we did is we talked about different types of crisis. And I want to be clear, I didn't this is not an all-inclusive list that this is the only types of crisis, but I just listed five, I think, and I want to just say them really quick. Sometimes in our life, we're in what I call a capacity crisis, where we're just beyond our capacity. We're just overdone. We're just, and we're just like, I just can't handle anymore. I am just, my capacity is, is tapped out. And sometimes it can just be a season in your life. I know in the church right now, people are having babies. How many of you remember when you had a baby that was like two or three weeks old and you had to get that kid in the groove of sleeping? How many of you know what I'm saying? And it was just like, okay, right now I'm just in a season kind of a, kind of a thing. But equally, when you talk about, you say, I'm beyond my capacity, maybe a question is, is do I need to grow? And I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if it's a capacity question is to look in your life and say, gosh, do I need to grow in my ability to manage and handle crisis? Um, or, or is it just it's, it's, uns, it's unsustainable? But and then the next thing is this, is in this crisis, what it's revealing is my level or my pain threshold of how much pain I can handle in my life. And sometimes in our life in crisis is we have really big dreams. God, you You've given me this really big dream, but a limitation to that dream is our pain threshold is down here. Our ability to, to function in a healthy manner, our pain threshold is here, but we've got a dream that's here. And God is saying in this crisis, I'm going to grow your capacity to handle more in the crisis because I have a capacity that has to increase. Maybe you're here and it's a self-inflicted crisis. And that's another one is where you maybe you're in a crisis and you have a Part in it, where you said, I made a mistake, I didn't mean to, but it caused crisis. Or maybe it's self-inflicted, and you said, I did something really stupid, and I ignored, and I knew I shouldn't have done it, and now it's created crisis in my life. The third area is what I call just unforeseen personal crisis that just sprang up from nowhere. Kind of that's what COVID is right now. Is it is there's nobody that could have predicted, you know, this. There's nobody that could have predicted that, you know, in the lab in China that whatever. There's nobody that, and it's now affecting not just the United States, but it's affecting the whole world. I mean, the fourth type of crisis is when those that are close to us that, you know, maybe somebody we love or somebody we care about is there in crisis. And because you love them and you care about them and you have empathy and compassion, there's a tendency to begin to carry that yourself. How many of you know what I'm saying? Where you're just looking and you're like, what can we do? What can I do? And you're praying about it and you're thinking about it and your level of empathy and connection with them is it feels like it's your crisis. Or maybe the fifth area of crisis is leading is maybe you, you have a family or maybe you lead a business or you're leading something in your life and, and quote, the buck stops with you and your team is in crisis or your business or your family is in crisis. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what do I do when I have crisis on multiple fronts? 
not just one area, but we're going to talk about what if I'm facing crisis on two or three or four fronts where it is just overwhelming and it is just heavy. See, God has placed you in a position of leading and what it is, is sometimes when we're getting hit on all sides, on the inside, we can just stop and say, I don't know if I can do this. How many of you are with me on that? Where you're just like, God, I don't know if I'm able to lead this. I don't know if I'm able. That is totally normal. But what we also talked about, and I mentioned this last week, is that all crises are tipping points into the next season of my life. Right now, you say, I'm in a crisis. It is a tipping point, positive or negative, depending on your response in the crisis to the next season of your life. The experts say this. They say that when we go into crisis, the first three weeks of that crisis, depending on how we handle it, determine the next three and a half years of our life. Now, you might be saying, well, shoot, I've been in it right now for two months. Well, praise God you can hit reset. Are you with me right now? Is that you can, hit, you can hit the reset. But what it is, is what do I do when it's multiple crises at the same time? And so we're going to look today at a story about David. Everybody say David. David in 1 Samuel 30, and he's not the king yet. He is not the king, but just to give you a little bit of history before we jump into the story, for years, this guy by the name of King Saul has been trying to kill David due to his jealousy over David. And finally, David has gathered kind of like the hodgepodge dejects of, of Israel have joined themselves to David, and he's got 600 men following him along with their families. And finally, David comes to the realization that as long as I stay in Israel, I am, I am in danger and I might be snuffed out. So he comes to this realization that I have to leave Israel and I have to go to a neighboring nation and try to seek safety there and wait for this crazy madman Saul to either die or something to happen to him. And so what he does is he flees Israel and he goes to a neighboring country and he visits the king of that neighboring country and the king's name is Achish and that what happens is, is Achish began first it's the favor of God on him with Achish but Achish likes David and over a period of time Achish begins to trust David and says to David you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you this town called Ziklag and you can bring your men with you and then you can bring all of their families with you and you guys can live there for as long as you want. And so he get, and so David and his 600 men and their wives they, that join him, they all move to Ziklag and as years go by, this king's friendship with David just continues to grow and grow and the trust begins to grow and grow. And I want to just read just a couple of statements that this king said about David that you can see the depth of their relationship. This is what he said um, in the 29th chapter of 1 Samuel. He said, I swear by the Lord that you have been a trustworthy ally. I think that you should go with me into battle, for I have never found a single flaw in you from the day you arrived until now. That sounds like a pretty good relationship. Can we all agree on that? It's like not a single, is there anybody in here that you know anybody that you say they don't have a single flaw? 
You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, I only know one, and his name is Jesus. And sometimes I disagree with him. How many of you are with me? It's like, Lord, you should have done it this way. It's, but he, this, that's, what, that's what King Achaz said. Here's another thing that he said in the 29th chapter. He said, as far as I am concerned, you're as perfect as an angel of God. That's what Achish said about David when he spoke about David. And so King Achish goes into battle with some other neighboring kings and, and that he's allied with. And so obviously the word gets to David. Achish is going into battle. And so David gets his 600 men together, joins Achish's army, and they march for three days to meet this king or all these kings that are allied together that are out there that David is assisting in this. The king totally trusts him. He travels three days to get to this battle and it's pretty much told him by these other kings kings that are aligned with Achish that we don't trust you. You're not trustworthy. We don't believe your word. And so they send Achish back to David to basically say, to tell David, you know, you've been, you've been marching with us for three days, but they don't want anything to do with you. And I got to send you home now. And, the, and, and you look at this, if you could imagine David his character is assaulted. He is basically distrusted in front of his men who he's led 600 of them over there. And so David then goes to his men and I'm sure he's dejected, turns around. They're going for three days to get back to Ziklag. And I want to read 1 Samuel 30 verse 1. It says, three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and Ziklag, and they crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. I want you to think about this. David, he's been gone for six days. Three days out, three days back. The Amalekites, another community nation, hears that he's gone and they mount their army, and they burn his city to the ground. He comes home to find out that his home is destroyed. There's nothing there. And if that's not enough, look at what it says in verse 2. They had carried off the women and the children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. They turned everybody to slaves. When David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, look at this statement, they wept until they could weep no more. So you could get this picture of David. He's the leader. Nothing is going right. I don't know about you, but has anybody ever cried until a tear couldn't come out and you could weep no more? There's no strength left in you. This is where David is. Now look... It, it says in verse 5, David's two wives, Ahoinam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. David had a wife and then he, another gal, her husband was killed. And so he said, you can come in and I'll take care of you. Both of them are captured. Now, if this isn't enough, look at what it said. David was now in great danger because all of his men were very bitter about losing their sons and their daughters. Hey, what about their wives? Come on, ladies. How many of you know what I'm saying? And they began to, now look at this statement. And they began to talk of stoning him. I want you to put yourself right now. 
This is crisis on four fronts. And if you look at the guys that are talking about stoning him, if you look at their history, they were not church people. They were MS-13 converts. How many of you know what I'm saying? They were not people that you would be like, and now all of a sudden David finds out that not only is his character assassinated with his good friend and he's distrusted, but he, his men now have questioned him all the way back for three days and they ride up to their town that they've been living at and building their homes for years and it's burned to the ground. And then they find out that their wives and their children and everything has been carried off into slavery and they weep till there's no more strength, David included. And then David gives gets word that the 600 men are talking about stoning him to death because of he's the one that led us on this and it's his fault. I don't know about you, but that is crisis. But look at what it says. But David found strength in the Lord his God. See, we can go through things naturally, but do I know how to find strength in the Lord my God? When there's no strength out there, when the circumstances, nothing is working out, I don't understand it, I don't get it, my head is on tilt, do I know how to tune in and find strength? Now look at what he said. Then he said to Abathar, the priest, bring me an ephod. So, so Abathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after the band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, Go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. I want you to think about this story for a moment. Talk about crisis on every front. I think sometimes whenever we face crisis, especially when we're Christians, we stop and in our brain, well, I'm just going to be really honest. God, why didn't you tell me about this? God, why didn't you protect me from that? God, why did you let this happen? God, how could you have let? Lord, I, I've served you. The Bible says this about David, that God said about David that, David, that there was nobody before David that had a heart that was perfect toward the Lord. And what it is, is we've got to get past, God, why didn't you tell me? I believe right now, there are people in this room that you're in the exact same spot right now. You're in this spot right now. Crisis, didn't plan it, had nothing to do with it. And you feel like it's kicking my butt right now. And you know what, God? I love you. Why didn't you? You could have. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you show me? Why didn't you speak to me? Right now, there's people. Realize this, and this is, this is un-American thinking. We are not in control. Americans like to control. Are you with me? We like to control. When I go through the drive-through at Burger King, I want it my way. Are you with me? I want my Whopper my way. And what it, what it is, is when you think about it, is we have got to grow to the place where we will trust when we face crisis. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. What crisis does is it shakes us to the core. Then the next thing it does is it reveals us to the core. And the third thing, it will, it will respond right. 
it always, re, it always remolds us to the core, but that is a positive or negative thing based on my response. It, uh, it's based on my response. And it says of David that he encouraged himself in the Lord. God knew all of this was going to happen. God knew it all. He's a good person. Something bad happened. But, what it, but he encouraged himself in the Lord. And I want to just talk about how do I do that in my life? Where I feel like I'm getting crisis on every front. First realize it's personal, but it's always tied to biblical things. What do you mean by that? There's certain things that you do naturally right now in your life that you go to an environment and that environment gives you the ability. It gives you the ability to kind of just relax and then you tie in spiritual principles and spiritual things in that environment. Can I just be really honest with you? Man, the Lord just speaks to me when I'm in a tree stand. He just, you say, why is that? That's where God is. You say, what are you doing up there? I'm praying, I'm reading, but I'm looking for a big buck. Are you with me? It's, it's, that just, it, it's, you say, well, I'm not like that at all. Hey, maybe your thing is you just like walking down the sidewalk in Chicago in a big city and it just breathes oxygen to your soul. And, you're, and I'm, there, it's coupled. There is a personal, God made you very, very personal. So there's an environment that refreshes your soul, but it's got to be tied to spiritual principles or it will only be a natural thing and it won't last. The first thing, number one, is this is get past having to understand everything. You got to get past it. There are some things you're never going to understand while we're down here on earth. We don't see the big picture. You know, there's been things in my life that have happened to me that I just thought were the biggest bummer and they weren't fair and they weren't right. And it took 20 years for me to look back and say, oh my gosh, I realized God I, when I was in it, I couldn't see it. But now I see what, what was going on. And we just have to stop and we just have to trust. You know, I, I know this, that sometimes when we go through things that we don't understand, I'm just going to speak for myself. Had I given up in that season, I would have been on the scrap heap of life and never experienced all that God had for my life. And it's something we've got to learn. Sometimes bad things happen to good people and we don't get it. But what we've got to remember is this is only a season. Everybody say season. Season. It's just like it's winter. Great. Spring is coming. Summer is coming. How many of you know it's only a season? Don't look at it like it's the rest of your life. If I'll come to the place where my walk with the Lord is a walk of trust, understand this, where I trust him more than I trust myself. God, I trust you. Don't understand. I'm not going to get better. I'm going to trust you. Number two is this, as he had learned how to encourage himself in the Lord. I think this is a learned thing. It's a learned thing. It's not a set it and forget it. It's not a revelation that you get. It's a learned thing where you stop and you're like, oh, I've learned this refuels my soul. Oh, I've learned this does it. I've learned. It is over time where we learn. Yes, there are some spiritual things that, are, that you can just connect all of it, but we've got to get it down in our heart. And this is absolutely vital because it's usually in crisis that we take control and 
and forget about God. And whenever we take control and forget about God, it's going to get worse. See, with humility, except sometimes in our life, we say, I'm in a crisis, and this is the crisis. With a level of humility, we accept responsibility for maybe what if we, if we have done something intentional or unintentional that have caused the crisis, we stop and we say, you know what? I'm going to accept responsibility for that. You say, why do you do that? Because the Bible says that when we change our heart and we look and we say, I contributed to that. I'm in a crisis. I contributed. When we change our heart, another word for changing our heart is the word repent or changing our mind. And whenever we align our thinking in our heart and we agree with God with humility, he promises to bring refreshing over our soul. Sometimes we're in a crisis and God is saying, uh, we're saying to God, God, why am I not refreshed? And I'm not saying this for sure, but maybe you're here and you just need to have a change of heart and just say, I did something really stupid and you know what? It caused me to be in crisis and you know what? God, number one is I'm sorry to you. I'm sorry to you. But number two is I'm sorry to the people that it affected. And then God promises that he'll bring a time of refreshing in our life. In Acts 3.19, they're going to put it up and Peter is preaching to a group and he basically said to them, he said, you guys are the ones that crucified Christ. You nailed him to the cross. You guys are the ones that did it. And the Bible says that they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to them, he said, you need to repent. And you can see it up there. So repent, change your inner self, your old way of thinking with regret for your past sin or past mistake and return to God and seek his purpose for your life so that your sins may be wiped away, blotted out completely and erased. And look at this statement so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the, of the Lord, restoring you. I like that, like a cool wind on a hot day. When we just stop and say, okay, God, I'm going to do this your way. I'm changing my heart. I realize, and God, I'm, I'm open to what you say and what you're doing and what you're speaking. Number three is this, is he believed that with God, nothing was too far gone. We got to settle that right now. You say, it's bad. Nothing's too far gone when you got God. You say, you don't understand what I meant. I don't, but I know God's with you. And if God's with you, he will kick its butt and get you out of it. Say, so you said but at church. But is a better word than the other one. How many of you are with me on that? <laughs> Not that I would say it. Some people, just so you know, they will be texting me. Anyway. <laughs> But what it is, is you, 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 in our lives sometimes, and when you talk about this, and I want to just talk, just spend a moment. I want the worship team to just give me a couple extra minutes. But there's three essentials to encouraging yourself in the Lord. The first one is this, is dig into God's written word. Dig into it, his promises about your area of crisis. I'm in crisis in this area. What does God say about it? That's his word on the situation. 
But the next thing is, is when you talk about encouraging yourself, is do you have a personal word in your life that over your life, the Lord has encouraged your heart? And maybe one time in prayer, or maybe God spoke to you, and he put a dream in your heart. And what that dream does in crisis is if you will reflect on it, it will encourage you. It will encourage your spirit. It will encourage your life. And the next is maybe a prophecy that somebody spoke. They said, I just feel like the Lord gave me a word for you. And they prophesied over your life. And it wasn't just this crazy random thing out there. But when they said it, you knew it was for you. It just registered. And it was like, oh yeah, okay God, you're speaking to me. I like in 1 Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Timothy was in a tough spot. And he said, hold fast to the prophecies that were spoken over you so that you could war a good warfare. In other words, when you're in a battle, hold on to those things. Amen? I think in our lives, as he, be, he believed that with God, nothing is too far gone. I, I like to call it like this, a silver lining mentality. It says about Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What is a silver lining mentality? A silver lining mentality is I am not going to focus on all of the negative. I have to deal with it, but I'm not going to let it fill my heart. Lord, what I'm going to do is focus on what is good. Look at what it says in Philippians 4, verse 6 through verse 8. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Verse 7, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, verse 8, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true, honorable, right, pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. See, what it is, is when I get into a difficult moment, what am I looking for? Am I looking for the silver lining or am I looking for all of the bummers, all of the negatives and all? I say it like this. When we get in a crisis, we need to look for the fingerprints of God. We need to look for the breadcrumbs of what God is doing. And we need to look and say, God, I, I see you. See, God saw that this was coming to them. He knew it before, and he had something good that was going to come out of it. And my question today is, what are you looking for right now in your life? You say, I'm in a crisis. Okay, what are you looking for? Are you looking for the fingerprints of God? Number four is this, is he led himself before he attempted to lead others. Sometimes in our life, we want to lead everybody else, but we're not leading ourselves. You know, when you get on an airplane, not too many people flying today, but when you get on an airplane and the lady's standing there, I'm just going to ask an honest question for a moment. How many of us pay attention when she's talking? Let me just see your hands. <laughs> okay. You know what I'm saying? It's like, okay, I've been through the drill. But what does she say? She says, if the cabin loses pressure, then air masks will fall from the ceiling. If you are sitting next to a child or somebody that needs assistance, Make sure that you secure your air mask before you help them. Are you with me? See, we got to make sure when we're going through crisis, is my air mask secured? Because if it isn't secured, I can't help anybody else in my life. 
And that in our lives sometimes, as am I leading myself in my walk with God? Or am I sitting there on my butt, consumed with my problems and not leading my own life after the Lord? I'm the only one that can do it. Stop waiting for somebody else. I know that it's not easy, but it's a must. Number five is this. And this is the last one. Is he was accountable to someone else on his bad days. David, if you look, remember what it says in verse 7. Then he said to Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after the band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. What I love about this is David is in a crisis but he has somebody in his life that he will not only listen to what they say, but he'll do what they say. It's one thing to have people in our life that say, oh, you can tell me what you think, but I'm not going to do it. Realize this, it's no good if you have people that, have, that are farther than you. And I'm not saying that they're God and that they're perfect and that they don't make mistakes. But when they give advice and you're in crisis and you're just like, you know what, that's hard, that's difficult. I don't want to do that. Realize this, that you're not open to anybody that's farther down the tracks than you. So the only way we're going to learn is the school of hard knocks. How many of you know that the tuition in the school of hard knocks is really high? It's really high. And we've got to stop. And what we've got to do is say, God, right now I'm in a crisis and I realize that on my bad days, there's going to be temptations to do dumb things. Do I have people in my life that I'm accountable to that are not just where I'm at, but they're, uh, they're farther, they'll tell me the truth, they'll speak into my life, and they'll help me to make the right decision. See, he not only heard, but he listened. He had godly advice in his life. He had people in his life. This is going to be King David. Oh my gosh, leader of these 600 men. Going to be the king of Israel. But he had somebody in his life that he said, you know what? I'm going to listen to that. And I wonder today, as I stand up here, go ahead and stand to your feet. As I stand up here right now, is you're here and you're in a crisis. I want to encourage you right now in your crisis that God is with you. Maybe you're here and it's multiple crises. I want to pray. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for your presence that is here. Lord, I thank you for everyone that is here. And Lord, I pray the comfort of your Spirit, the strength of your Spirit to each and every one of them. And Lord, as we come before you, what we know is that, God, you're faithful, that you're good that you see more than we see, that you never leave us and you never forsake us. And Lord, right now, we invite you. Help us, God.